At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. I want you to turn with me uh, in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 6, verse 13. I want to continue on this, this series, Keep the Fire Burning. Keep the Fire Burning. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 13, the Word of God reads like this, A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. And then if you look at Genesis chapter 22, Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. I need you to get a good attitude right now, a good attitude right now. Look at the person beside you. Tell them, neighbor, keep the fire burning. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. I'm continuing today this series of teachings about the altar, the importance of the altar. And the foundational scripture of this teaching again is Leviticus chapter 6 verse 13 where God commanded Israel to make sure that the fire on the altar would never go out. It was to burn every day, all day, burn every night, all night. That means the fire on the altar was to burn perpetually. The altar is the place of worship. The altar is the place of prayer and it is the place of intercessory prayer. The altar is the place that reminds us of our covenant relationship with God. And God would have me to tell you again that he's calling us to reclaim and to rebuild the altar. The altar is an admonishment to us to take serious the ministry of prayer. I believe God is real. I know that sounds like a very simple statement, but it's loaded. So I'm going to say it again. I believe that God is real. I also believe that God answers prayer. 
I can say like the psalmist, this poor man cried and the Lord heard his cry. I believe he answers prayer. I want to go a little farther with you today and tell you without apology, I still believe in miracles. I believe that God can intervene in the life of a person and do something beyond the natural and that he operates in the supernatural. So I believe in miracles and signs and wonders. Now beloved, there's no need to commit to the ministry of prayer if you don't believe God is real. There's, there's no need to pray if you don't think God answers prayer. But I pray because I believe God is real and I believe he answers prayer. I pray because I need him. And I need God every day. So every Saturday from 4 to 5, we have a special worship experience, prayer and praise, where we come to the sanctuary, we come to the altar and we pray. So yesterday, I was here from four to five. I prayed for Ann Wagner. I prayed for Catherine Marshall. I prayed for Sister Belvia Bonifant. I prayed for James Harrell. I prayed for Eugene Colston. I prayed for Dr. Sharon Moore. I prayed for some families in Louisville because it was brought to my attention that something so terrible and so tragic happened to two families in our city this week. And I won't go into what happened. You may know these families, so I won't go into what happened. But I tell you, it was tragic. What was brought to my attention that happened to these families is something that I had to say to myself, what is coming of our world? Because what I heard was something that I would have never heard of years back. Tragic. And while I do not know the families, it didn't stop me from praying for them. You don't have to know people to pray for them. So I went before God and I asked for healing. I asked for comfort. I asked for peace. I asked for deliverance. You, you don't know how much you need God until God is all you got. And unfortunately, some of us don't understand the value of praying for somebody else until something tragic happens in your life and you're going to need somebody to pray for you. But I made up my mind, I'm not going to wait until something gets on my agenda that I need somebody to pray for me. I'm going to pray for others because we live in a world that is standing in the need of prayer. And so Leviticus says, God says, keep the fire burning on the altar. God is telling us, church, that we need to reclaim and rebuild the ministry of prayer. 
We looked at Abraham, and today our text is in Abraham chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 22, and it's Abraham's encounter with God on Mount Moriah. But to really apprehend and to appreciate the revelation of Genesis chapter 22, I need to just take a minute for us to go back and quickly revisit and review the encounters that Abraham had with God before he got to Mount Moriah. Now you recall it begins in Genesis chapter 12 where God says to Abram, I want you to leave your family, your kindred, the country that you were born in, and I want you to leave now and I'm going to show you a land that you know not of. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation and through your seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. Understand, beloved, that when God gave Abram this vision, he was already old. He was 75 years of age. And he takes God at his word and he travels on nothing but a promise. And then we're told in Genesis chapter 7 that God gave more clarity to the vision because he says, it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now when God said to Abraham, to your descendants, God is saying, I'm going to bless a people who have yet to be born. So that tells us God not only blesses us in the right now, but he can bless your future before your future gets here. So you ought to start praising God for what he's going to do for your children, for your grandchildren, and your great grandchildren. It's called a not yet praise. And then when you get to chapter 13, Abraham goes back and revisits the altar that he had built that we read in chapter 12. And God so blessed Abraham and Lot that the Bible says that the land was not able to hold or to handle how blessed they were. Now, I'm not in that cadre of people who say that faith is primarily determined by the stuff that you have. I'm not in that group. But I am not in the group whose goal is to be broke. I'm, 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 not, I'm not walking around saying, Lord, please keep me poor. That's not my prayer. Abraham was blessed. I am a part of the blessing of Abraham, Paul says, in Galatians. And so I'm believing God to bless me financially. And I'm believing him to bless me financially, not just to be able to take care of my family, but to be able to bless others. Amen. Now, a strife broke out between Abraham and Lot because Lot couldn't handle Abraham's blessing. Everybody can't handle when God is blessing you. And so sometimes separation becomes necessary because it has to do with your destiny. Everybody who starts with you cannot go all the way with you. Some people are good people, but they can't go all the way with you because they don't have your mindset, they don't have your heart, they don't have your anointing, they don't have your vision, they don't have your commitment, your consecration, your devotion, your dedication, so they can't go with you all the way. It has to do with destiny. And then there are some people, I don't know no other way but to tell the truth, some people are just mean and they low down 
and they lie and they cheat and they steal and they're wicked and they're evil and they don't need to be in your space and the problem that some of us are making is we're trying to drag people into our future that God has not ordained to be in your life. And rather than you sitting around moaning and crying about they ain't with me no more, you need to start thanking Jesus that they ain't there no more. God, I want to thank you, Jesus, that Freddy Krueger is no longer in my life. I want to thank you, Jesus, that the wicked witch of the West is gone. I, I, read, I read in the Gospels where Jesus said to his disciples as he was standing on the pericope of going to Calvary, he says to the disciples, listen to this very carefully, he says to them, you are the ones who have stayed with me to the end which implies that if they are the ones who stayed with him to the end, that there are some other people who left him. I mean, you do read the Bible. You remember in John chapter 6, Jesus knowing some people trying to make him their king, but they really wasn't committed to him. They were just grateful for the miracle. And Jesus said to them, well, I tell you what, if you want me to be your king, you got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. The Bible says that they said, this is a hard saying, and they decided to follow him no more. If everybody couldn't, couldn't stay with Jesus, what makes you think everybody's gonna stay with you? Then when you get to Genesis chapter 15, God reminds Abraham that he says to him, do not be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. I need to tell somebody, just because you have some challenges in life, it doesn't mean that God is not going to keep his promise. Abraham makes another sacrifice and uh, the vultures tried to take the sacrifice from the altar, but the Bible says Abraham fought those vultures off so that you have to fight for the sacrifice that you make to God. Don't let the devil turn you around and make you think that your sacrifice is for naught. You gotta tell the devil you're a lie. I'm believing God for every promise that he made to me. And then, in, and then in Genesis chapter six, Abraham and Sarah become impatient, so they try to help God out, and so Abraham has this affair with the maid servant named Hagar. She has a son by Abraham by the name of Ishmael, but Ishmael is not the promised child. Brother, sister, you get in trouble when you start trying to give God a helping hand. He doesn't need your help, he needs you to follow and do what he told you to do. Then in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham has this uh, unusual uh, appearance of God in his life at the Terpith Trees of Mamre. And there God shows up in an unusual way with kind of angelic beings. It's what we call in theology a theophany. That's when God manifests himself in an unusual manner. And God again reminds Abraham and Sarah that you're going to have a child. But Sarah starts laughing because she's old. She He's barren. Abraham is old. He's at a point now where he ain't really supposed to be able to get Sarah impregnated, so she laughs. The Bible says in Genesis 18, 12, therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. But God didn't laugh at Sarah's laughter. 
God said, I don't see what's so funny. So God raises the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? And then you get to Genesis chapter 21, and the Bible says, for Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God has spoken to him. I'm almost to the text, so just hang with me about 10 more minutes, I'll be out of your way. I'm getting ready to bless you right now. I got a watch on my wrist. This is Kronos, but Kronos is not Kairos. God ain't operating by Kronos. He operates by Kairos. And our problem is we become impatient because we keep looking at our watch trying to determine when God's going to bring us through. But you need to settle down and understand God's got a set time. It's called Kairos. And at the set time, he's going to make happen what he wants to happen. It ain't going to happen too early and it ain't going to happen too late. It's going to happen right on time. The Bible says, now Abraham was 100 years old. That's 25 years he'd been waiting for Isaac. He was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh. And all who, who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have known or who would have believed that Abraham, Sarah says, would nurse children. For I have borne him a son in his old age. Look at somebody say, neighbor. God's going to make you laugh. Yeah. Now, we're getting to Genesis chapter 22. Now, the reason why I quickly wanted us to revisit and review these encounters before you get to Genesis 22, because I need you to understand, beloved, that your spiritual formation and your spiritual development does not happen overnight. It is experience after experience after experience. I mean, consider the fact when you hear David in Psalm 23 say, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. You hear David in Psalm 51 saying, create within me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. When you hear David in Psalm 139 saying, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and if you find any wicked way in me, don't leave me where you found me, but take me to higher ground. You don't talk like that in the early days of your walk with God. That's language that you speak after you have walked with God for a while. That's why you can then read in Psalm 37, which is Sister Irma Coleman's favorite verse. In, in Psalm 37, David says, I once was young, but now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Time and experience will change the way you see God. Time and experience will change your prayer life. Time and experience will alter what you consider to be a priority in your life. Time and experience will teach you how to trust God. So now look at Genesis 22, our primary text. Isaac is born. And God comes to Abraham 
And God says to Abraham, and the Bible says God tested Abraham. God will never tempt you, but he will test you. God tested Abraham, and this is what God said to Abraham. He says, I want you to take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. We are very close right now to shouting. We're real close. God said to Abraham, take Isaac up to Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. He did not say to Abraham, take Ishmael. He said, take Isaac. He didn't say, take the son of the bondwoman, Hagar. He said, take the son that came from Sarah's womb. Don't take Ishmael. Take the one that you've been waiting for for 25 years. Take the son that the one that the only reason you have him is because it took a miracle for him to get here. Take Isaac. See, when God calls us to make a sacrifice, what most of us want to do is we don't want to give God our Isaac. We, we want to give God Ishmael. We, we say I'm making a sacrifice, but really what we're doing is giving God what we didn't want in the first place. The question is, can I give him what I love? So the Bible says that Abraham exercises his faith. Because the Bible says Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled the donkey, got Isaac, took some of the young men with him and started making his way to Mount Moriah to offer Isaac to God, which says that Abraham is executing his faith. I need to ask you this morning, do you have faith in God? I need to ask you, do you have faith in God? Now, I know you read the Bible, so I know you've read Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But I didn't ask you if you could read Scripture. What I'm asking you is, do you have faith in God? And the real deal is that while you may quickly shout, oh, yes, I've got faith in God, the fact of the matter is you really don't know what you got until you get put in a situation where God's got to get you out or you don't get out. And then that's when you're going to find out what you have or what you don't have. There are people today, beloved, who would say that if you have faith, you don't have doubt. They would argue that faith and doubt cannot coexist. But I believe that real faith has its doubts. Harry Emerson Fostick in his book For the Living of These Days, he says that um, the person who has faith and has had to grapple with doubt is in a much better position than the person who says they've never doubted. 
Fosdick says the person who has faith and has had to struggle with doubt and fought through their doubts is in a much better position because they fought through their doubts and kept on believing. So now they can say, I know what I got is real because I had my doubts, I fought through my doubts, held on to my faith, so now I know that what I got is real. Fosdick says that person is in a much better position than the person who's never doubted. I take the position that I need faith and I need doubt. Now I need doubt, stay with me. I need doubt because I gotta have the truth. Doubt helps me to find truth because if I believe everything that everybody tells me, it could make me gullible. Because everything that you hear from everybody is not the truth. So doubt causes me to have a spirit of discernment and to sift what I hear so that people cannot take advantage of me trying to cause me to uh, adhere to something that is falsehood. So doubt helps me to sift what I don't need in my life. On the other hand, I need faith because I need hope. Because we live in a world that is marred by what we could call the unreconcilable woes of life. There's some pain you can't explain. And because we have to deal with on any given day the vicissitudes of life, then I don't want to become pessimistic or nihilistic, so I got to maintain my hope, Judge. And to maintain my hope, I got to sometimes hope against hope. So I've got to have faith. Uh, uh, John Ottberg wrote a wonderful book entitled Faith and Doubt. And Ottberg says that, he says, no, no um, heart is as, as whole as a broken heart. And no faith is as solid as a wounded faith. So that faith is more than a belief system. Faith is about more than just believing in some doctrines. Faith, faith at the end of the day is trusting a person. Look at somebody say, I think I'm on holiday. <laughs> my, my, my wife is sitting up here in the balcony. She is so beautiful. Lord have mercy. Thank you, Jesus. We've been married now for 45 years. And, um, and, and Joe, th there are things that I know about Sandra now. I'm talking about that I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like I really know. That I know now after 45 years, but I didn't know 45 years ago. When I, when I said to her, will you marry me? And she said, yes, and, uh, and so forth. What I really did is I became very vulnerable. And she became vulnerable too. Because we made a commitment to one another not knowing all the stuff <laughs> that we were about to find out. 
I was teaching one day and I said to the church, I said, before Sandra and I got married, I said, she never saw me naked. I said, now that we are married, she sees me naked every day. See, some of y'all done went there. And I'm not talking about physically without clothes. What I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is before we got married, the only thing she ever saw was my strengths. She didn't see my weaknesses until we were living together. Because what is important is not can you handle me when I'm strong, can you handle me when I'm weak? And can you, can you love me through my weakness and then trust me in spite of my limitations? And now, surely 45 years later, I trust her because she has shown me she's trustworthy. She has shown me she's committed. She has shown me that she loves me for me. She now knows she can trust me. She knows I'm dependable. Hallelujah. I'm trying to help 10 of y'all to understand that when you first got saved, there's not a lot that you knew about God only that you said I'm going to believe in him and I'm going to trust him and give my life to him but if you've been walking with him for a while now you can tell somebody there's some things that I know about God now that I didn't know when I first came into a saving relationship with him Oh, I know he's Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And I know he's Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. And I know he's Jehovah Shalom, my peace. And I know he's Jehovah Nisi, the one who will fight for me. And I could go on and on. But the reason why you know it is because there are some experiences that you had that God could have prevented you from having but he allowed you to have it because God says I don't want what you know about me to be secondhand information I want you to know it for yourself you ought to thank God for what he allowed you to go through and what he brought you out of give me about seven more minutes Abraham gets to the foot of Mount Moriah, the Bible says in Genesis 22. And this is what Abraham does. He says to the young men that came with him, he says, you all stay here with the donkey. Isaac and I are going up to Mount Moriah to worship, and Isaac and I are coming back down. See, now, you, you, you all should have screamed right there. You should have screamed. Okay, y'all didn't quite, I, I'm going to talk to this group over here. Y'all didn't quite get it. Okay, here we go. At the foot of Mount Moriah. They're not at the top. They're at the foot. Abraham says to his young men, y'all stay here with the donkey. Isaac and I are going to go up the mountain and worship, and Isaac and I 
are going to come back down. Now understand, God's command to Abraham was to take Isaac up to that mountain to offer him as a sacrifice, which meant that he was to kill Isaac. Okay, they, they, they didn't quite get there either. Let me come back and try y'all again. I'm going to give y'all a second chance. Here we go. God said, take Isaac up to Mount Moriah. Offer him as a sacrifice. That means take his, take his life. And yet, at the foot of the mountain, knowing that God said, take him and offer his sacrifice, Abraham says to the young man, Isaac and I are going up this mountain, and Isaac and I are coming back down. Now the reason you ought to be screaming right now is because what Abraham is saying to his young men is this. Abraham says to his young men, he says, now I know God told me to take Isaac up here and offer him as a sacrifice. That means I'm supposed to kill him. But Abraham says, but some kind of way, God's going to have to let me bring Isaac back down here because Isaac is the promised child. I don't know how God's going to work it out, but some kind of way, God's going to have to work it out because if I don't know anything about God, I know God is a keeper of his word. Marvin Gaye says it makes me want to holler and throw up both my hands. Abraham is going up to Mount Moriah, he says, for him and Isaac to worship God. Brothers and sisters, we were created to worship God, to give God glory, honor, and praise. Don't miss this. This got your name on it. Listen, the highest form of worship is obedience. And so, if you disobey God, then there is no ritual, there is no sacrifice, there is no worship, there is no praise that can cover your disobedience. Obedience is the highest form of worship. That's why, Joe, worship don't start on Sunday. Worship has to do with what you do during the week because it requires obedience. So Abraham and Israel in that day, the way they made a sacrifice on the altar, they put a bull on the altar or a ram on the office or a sheep on the altar. They gave God a dead sacrifice. But Paul, he tells us in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Another translation says, which is your reasonable act of worship. So we don't put dead sacrifices on the altar. We put living sacrifices on the altar. We put ourselves on the altar. We love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We've given him dedication and devotion. We've given him commitment and consecration. We've given him the best praise we can give him on the altar. Now I need you to help me teach this thing right now. I need you to look at somebody is serious. Say, neighbor, do you really think that I'm going to put my best sacrifice, my best praise on the altar and come to church and be quiet? You out of your mind. The devil is a liar. 
There's no way I'm going to give God my best praise, my best sacrifice, and then come to church and be quiet. Come to church and be sedity. Come to church and be bourgeoisie. Oh no, child of God, when I woke up this morning, I had already made up in my mind that when I get to the house of God, I'm going to make some noise. I'm going to shout. I'm going to scream. I'm going to holler. The psalmist in Psalm 100 says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. All you lads, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. The devil is a lie. As good as God's been to me, I'm going to come up here and be quiet. Oh no. I plan to holler. I plan to shout. I'm going to stand on my feet. I'm going to give God a wave offering for all he's done for me. And the longer we're in church, the louder I get. If I'm too loud for you, you should have never sat beside me in the first place because somebody should have told you that I got a reputation for hollering. I got a reputation for shouting. Somebody should have told you that where you sat was a designated praise section. And if my shouting bothers you, come on, Usher, reseat this person somewhere because I ain't getting ready to stop. I'm going to keep on giving God praise because he's worthy to receive the praise. He's worthy to receive the honor. He's worthy to receive the glory. He's been too good to me for me to sit up here and be quiet. If they can holler at the yum center, I can holler at church. If they can holler at the football game, I can holler at church. If they can holler at the club, if they can dance at the club, I'm going to holler, dance at everything else because I want the world to know that I got a God who has been good to me. I need somebody to shout glory. Somebody to holler hallelujah. minutes can, can I have three minutes and I'll be through I just, I just need three minutes I just need three minutes and I'm done Abraham look at him he's taking Isaac up the mountain and 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 Isaac says to Abraham he says daddy I see the wood and I see the fire but but where is the lamb Abraham says to Isaac he says God will provide for himself a lamb they get to the top of Mount Moriah and he puts Isaac on the altar and Abraham's getting ready to take Isaac's life and God says to Abraham, steal your hand. Don't, don't take his life. God says, Abraham, it was only a test. A Abraham, I just wanted to see if you would love the giver more than you love the gift. And now that I know you love me, 
more than you love Isaac, then uh, Abraham, look over there in the thicket. There's a ram in the bush. And Abraham calls that place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And so if it means the Lord will provide, then the provider is the one who blesses us with provision. I promise you I'm almost through. I just, I got, I got two more minutes. I got two more minutes. Okay, I'm about through, but I want to get off the exit by asking the question, when did God put the ram in the bush? Did, did he put the ram in the bush after Abraham put Isaac on the altar? Or was the ram there before then? I want to suggest to you that before Abraham left his house to go to Mount Moriah, God had already put the ram in the bush. He just needed Abraham to have enough obedience and enough faith to walk out and trust him so he could learn that the God I serve will provide provision. He'll put what you need there before you get there. He just wants you to learn how to lean on him and how to trust him. I got 60 seconds left, so I got to reel it in. I got 60 seconds left. On Mount Moriah, Joe, God told Abraham, take your son off the altar. Now, Darrell, leave me alone, because it ain't going to take a whole lot, and I'll go there. On Mount Moriah, God told Abraham, take your son off the altar. But on another mountain called Calvary, God put his son on an altar. He said, Abraham, take your son off, but I'm going to leave my son on the altar. Jesus didn't come off the altar. There on a hill called Calvary, he suffered, bled, and died. He died until there was a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day and there may I though vileless he wash all my sins away. He died on that cross, didn't he die? He was buried in another man's tomb, but aren't you glad that the story don't end right there? The Bible says Sunday morning he got up from the grave with all power in heaven and earth in his hands. And it was the resurrected Christ who had said to the disciples that when you go uh, to Jerusalem, he says, listen here, he says, you go and tarry there. And after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall receive power and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the other most parts of the world. It is the resurrected Christ that made a promise. And I'm telling you, God keeps his word. On the day of Pentecost, Luke says that the Holy Spirit came in like a mighty rushing wind, set upon them as cloven tongues of fire. There it is. There's the fire. Look at somebody and say, keep the fire burning. The Spirit came in like a mighty rushing wind, set on them like cloven tongues of fire. And miracles 
miracles and signs and wonders broke out. I'm so glad I know God as Father. I'm glad I know God as Son. I'm glad I know him as Holy Ghost. And I'm glad he's the God that gives me fire. Come on, Jesus, and light my fire. Come on, Holy Ghost. Give me fire until I speak in tongues. Give me fire until I preach your word with power. Give me fire until I sing a new song. Give me fire until I'll have peace that passeth all understanding. Give me fire until I'll set the captives free. Give me fire until I'll lay hands on the sick. Give me fire until I'll have a joy that the world didn't give and the world can't take away. Somebody shout fire! Jeremiah said it's like fire shut up in my bones and it won't let me hold my peace. I'm thinking God that I got the fire. The people represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.